0: You're perfect my, now. My neck. My, my neck. Perfect? Oh, bang on my chest if you think I'm perfect. Go ahead, bang on it. Beautiful. What a neckle. It's empty. The tinsmith forgot to give me a heart. No, no heart? heart? No heart. All hollow. <laughs> When a man's an empty kettle, he should be on his mantle, and yet I'm torn apart. Just because I'm presuming that I could be kind of human if I only had a heart. I'd be tender, I'd be gentle, and I'll down the middle. regarding love and heart. you guys can be seated. Hey, well, 11 a.m., how you guys doing? You made it to church today. Who's in a turkey coma? Anybody else? I'm just still feeling it. My fridge is full of leftovers, and uh, man, feeling good. If you are brand new to ACF Church, uh, we're just honored that you're spending this morning with us, glad that you're spending today here, and we just hope uh, that you can make a connection today, that you make, make a connection to God, a connection with other people, and that this just feels like a space that you can call home, and so uh, we're glad that you're with us. We are in a series called Tin Man, talking about what it's like to be a church of compassion, and I just want to give you a heads up. Listen, next week, do not miss church. Let me encourage you, come back next week because we are going to launch in together Together, uh, to do this initiative in uh, Bobo Dioulasso, Burkina Faso, and really excited about that. We're going to be sponsoring children through an organization called Compassion International, and I just want to tell you, like, the more work we're doing uh, behind the scenes on this, we are realizing that you guys us in Alaska, we are going to be able to make a massive impact on an entire country. I, I believe it's going to be huge. And so you're going to hear more about the story of why this part of the country, why sponsoring children, why are we doing any of this um, next week? So make sure you come back for that. But today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 15. And so if you want to grab a Bible, um, would love for you to pull out a Bible and open up to Matthew 15 um, or download the ACF Church app. And uh, all of the text will be on that as well. Um, This passage today is uh, really challenging. And all week long as I was preparing to share this message, I was second-guessing my choice of passages. Because if you look at the life of Jesus, there are a lot of options when it comes to compassion. Jesus is a man of compassion, constantly acting upon his empathy towards people and serving them, loving them, healing them. So that is the life of Jesus. But um, this passage I chose today is a compassionate moment, but it's also really a shocking moment. It, we actually see Jesus in this moment act in ways that we don't feel like are very Jesus-like. In fact, as I'm reading this, I'm like, I don't like this Jesus a whole lot. Um, I like a different sort of, the Jesus that when somebody's blind, he just gives them sight. You know, when somebody is, uh, le- has, has leprosy, he heals them and he just helps people. And, and yet there's something going on in this story that, that is just challenging for us. And at the same time, I feel like there is so much depth of truth in this text today for us today, and so let me read through this, and and we'll unpack this together. This is Matthew fifteen, verse twenty one. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, "Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David! My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon." But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, "'Send her away, for she is crying out after us.' He answered, "'I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel.' But she came and knelt before him, saying, "'Lord, help me.' And he answered, "'It is not right to take the children's bread "'and throw it to the dogs.' She said, "'Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs "'that fall from their master's table.' Then Jesus answered her, "'O woman, great is your faith. "'Be it done for you as you desire.'" And her daughter was healed instantly. So I want to start off with a question for you today. Have you ever felt just dirty? Like, Like just really, really unclean, really, really dirty. So I went hunting a couple of months ago, and I was gone for a week, and I didn't shower once. So all week long, I'm just like developing a certain scent, right? The hunter scent. You guys who are hunters know what I'm talking about. And I got home, and I was excited to hug my family, to kiss my family. And so I remember I opened the front door. My little girls came running up, and my daughter, Avriana, she like freezes in her tracks, and she's like, Daddy, you stink. And she's like, would you take a shower and then I'll hug you. I remember like the, the, the rejection of them. Like you get cleaned up and then you can get some kisses from your little girl. But until you get cleaned up, I want nothing to do with you. There's this feeling of like I'm, I'm dirty, I'm defiled, I'm rejected. I got to get cleaned up to be accepted by my daughter. Or maybe you think back to a time when you were a kid and you uh, had rejection. And you felt like somebody wasn't accepting you. Or you were worried that when people saw you, all they saw was this problem that you had in your life. Um, When I was little, I remember I got actually run over by a car, which is a whole other long story. Um, Don't play in traffic on your bike with your shoelaces untied. So that's the moral of all of that story. My shoelace got caught in my my bike pedal, and I fell down and got run over when I was a kid. So um, in that whole ordeal, I actually broke my leg in three places, and my femur actually overlapped itself. Um, which is not what it's supposed to do. And I remember them looking at the x-rays and figuring out a plan, and a doctor who obviously was much smarter than, than I was, his plan was to leave it like it was. He said, uh, as, a, as a kid, your bones are growing very quickly, and so um, we're going to leave that femur overlapped, which is going to mean that for about a year, you're, you're going to have one leg that's going to be shorter than the other leg, right? Which is every kid's dream, right? Going to school, with one leg that's shorter than the other. And they're like, don't worry about it. We're gonna put platforms on that one shoe so you don't walk in circles, right? So I'm like, what is wrong? So I remember them like putting this weird platform on my one shoe and, and literally uh, one leg was about three quarters of an inch shorter than the other. This is what makes me the man I am today, going through stuff like this. And so I remember going to school and, and just wondering, like, all people see is my platform, Like Just feeling like I'm being judged and rejected by everybody. Just like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm Brian, and I have one leg that's shorter than the other. This is who I am now. And, and I know for you today, when you came into church, um, if maybe there was something on you or something that's been part of your life or something that's been done to you that is sort of your defilement. It's sort of the thing that you use that it defines who you are, that is a, some, gives you a sense that you are rejected, you aren't wanted. And, and I don't know what that is, but for this woman, she had that on her life. What she, was, she was a woman from different ethnic backgrounds, and in her day, being a woman from two different places, being sort of a, a mixed ethnicity was a real problem. It really meant that she was an outcast and an outsider in their society. She, she, her parents were from Syria and Phoenicia. And so she was called a, a, a Syria or Syrio Phoenician woman. So she was this kind of mixture of different ethnicities. And so because of that, um, she got judged by a lot of people. And I don't, for you, put in your mind somebody who you naturally judge. I know you're all church people, so you don't judge anybody, but let's just assume that we all have somebody that we judge. I think, I think we do. Like, like this, is, this is maybe an eight-month pregnant woman sitting outside of a brothel with a cigarette hanging out of her mouth and, like, a bottle of Jack Daniels in her hand. So, like, I don't know, maybe you'd have a tendency to, to judge that person. I don't know who this would be in your life, but this woman was being judged by everybody, outcasted by Everybody. And so she she has a a baby. She has a child, this little girl. But we don't hear about a man in the story. So I'd imagine, uh, well, clearly at some point there was a man that was part of the story, maybe a boyfriend that she was with for a season. He gets her pregnant, and then he starts to consider what life might be like with this family, right? He starts to think, you know, if they are outcast like this, if they are the dirty and, and outcast of society, then what will this child be? And who will I be as the husband of this woman and and what might that be like? So I'd imagine he just saw the difficulty that was coming and just bailed out, right? He just hit the eject button and was like, I don't want any part of this. Not only that, she has this little girl and she is a special needs child. She's a child that's having seizures, that has kind of these problems in her life, which once again would have meant more judgment because in their world, if you had medical issues and problems, it meant that God's judgment was on you for doing something wrong. And so because of that, you must be unclean and defiled. And so we need to separate ourselves from you. And then one day she hears of this rabbi. She hears of this teacher that was going from town to town and healing people. And, and these miracles were happening. And, and imagine she's like, I've tried every religion in the books. I've tried whatever I can. I've done anything I can, I can think of to try to heal my daughter. And, and I believe that even heal her own heart. And yet at this point, nothing has worked. And she thought maybe this Jesus would help. And so she pushes her way to the front. And she cries out, Lord, help me. What we see in this woman's life is desperation. Um, have you ever been desperate? You ever just felt like I am in a place of neediness and I need help? And I will tell you as we start off the talk here today that desperation is one of the most important things for us to go through. It's one of the most important things for us as people to understand is that we all are desperate. And here's why. I believe desperation is a necessity in the life of every believer because it closes the gap between us and Jesus. If you've ever felt like, I don't know if I relate to to Jesus or to what these Christians believe in or, man, I'm not so sure that it really makes a difference in my life, then desperation is how we begin. And sometimes it's a a difficult circumstance we go through. It's a challenge in life. Other times it's our own wrestling and our own internal struggles and anxiety that force us into a place of desperation. And in these moments, what they show us is that we are really weak as our own God. Like we are really inadequate as our own God, that we need someone who is greater and higher and more powerful than we are to to deal with all that we're dealing with in life. I don't know if you've ever felt desperate, desperate to be healed, desperate just to be clean, and to feel accepted and that to almost feel like when, when people see me, they don't see all that I've been through. They don't just see my, my story or my mistakes or my background. It's interesting, whether you are a Christian or not, I think that you probably have a desire to be clean. I think you have a desire to be clean. And what's interesting is that studies have shown that people who go through difficult things in life or people who have made very bad decisions in life or have had bad things done to them, when those things happen, you know what the first impulse is for them? Is to go take a shower. Is that interesting? Like, like, even if you're not a Christian, there's this impulse within most people that if you do something wrong or go through something terrible or just feel like there's something wrong in your life, there's this instinct of like, I just gotta go shower this off. Maybe you've said that before. Like, I just went through something. I just need a shower, right? I gotta, I gotta clean this off of me, whatever this is that I just went through. And it's a, honestly, I think it's a metaphor for what's going on in our souls that we all seek to be clean. We all seek to be accepted That these things, whatever they are, are not what define us. And so a question that I had as I read this text is what led to their ultimate deliverance? Because this is a story of, sure, her daughter being healed, but I think also for this woman, her heart was healed. Her heart was made right. So let's get to this text. This is chapter 15, verse 21. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. So the first thing we see in this moment is this woman's crying out for help, and she's screaming at Jesus, and Jesus doesn't answer her. Now, at first, when you read this, you're you're feeling like, Why are you ignoring this woman, Jesus? I mean, mean, she's at a moment of the greatest desperation in her life, and you ignore her? But make no mistakes that silence is not the same as being ignored. That Jesus is not ignoring this woman. Just the same way that when you hear silence when you're praying to God, it's not that God is ignoring you. He's waiting for something. He's thinking. He's giving the conversation space. And in this moment of space, the woman is crying out, Lord. And this word, Lord, is a, it's a word of, of praise and authority and kingship in her life. She's giving him worship. She calls him son of David, and son of David is is a phrase that refers back to the prophecy of this Messiah that would come, and so she has some understanding of who Jesus could be, that maybe this was the savior of the world. But, But I was thinking in this moment, it's interesting, she's giving him all this worship, she's kneeling down, she's screaming out to him, it's this whole body experience, and yet she doesn't even know him. He's done nothing for her, it's the first time she's ever met him. And yet she worships him. Now I wonder if this might be the case, that some of you are asking God to prove himself worthy before you worship him. But what if God is waiting for you to worship him before he proves himself worthy? I think that's how we work, right? Like, God, you give me a little, I'll give you a little back. And we make these deals, right, God? If you just help me to pay my bills this month, I will tithe for the rest of my life, right? I will be so generous, just get me out of this situation, right? Like, like, I made a mistake. I I lied. I cheated. I did something wrong. If you will help me in this situation, then I'll worship you forever, right? Like, it's a deal. It's almost like, it's like, we're going to do you a favor, God, if you do me a favor first. And that's how we tend to work. Yet this woman sees Jesus, and she just responds in worship, physically expressing herself. This takes humility, doesn't it? This takes a a sort of lack of interest in what the people around you think. You get the sense in this woman that she's not trying to impress anybody. She's not too worried about what other people think of her. It's a moment of humility because of her desperation. And James 4.10 says this. says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. That's a beautiful promise, isn't it? You want to be lifted up by God? It begins with Humility. But at the same time, Matthew 7, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So clearly, you can come to church every Sunday, you can sing Jesus songs every single week, and go home and and, and end up separated from God for eternity. Clearly, there's a way that just speaking, Lord, Lord, saying the right words doesn't really matter if your heart isn't changed And in this passage, it's speaking specifically about obedience, doing the will of God, that there's this, like, response physically to your worship. And what we see in this woman is that she is physically mind, body, heart, and soul crying out to Jesus. Now, can I just push us as a church for just a second? Um, Can I just say that sometimes our worship doesn't look a lot like that? Can we, can we just be honest about that? So I want to give you kind of my background. I grew up in a very traditional church. And I remember the first time we visited a new, a new church, we moved, uh, we were from a military family, moved to a new location, went and visited a new church. And I remember seeing people off in the, in the sides and in the front row with their hands raised in worship. And I remember just judgment in my heart coming out of me, right? First of all, I was like, well, that's unnecessary. <laughs> what are they doing? right? Do you have a question? What's wrong with you? Like, why is your hand in the air? And then I remember like, like thinking, like seeing them do this and being like, oh, you think you're so spiritual, huh? Oh yeah, yeah, God loves you. You're a special little person because you got your hands in the air. Of course he loves you. And then I remember the worship leader getting up and being like, let's lift our hands in worship. And I was like, I don't have to. You can't tell me what to do. I turned into a five-year-old in worship, right? You can't tell me what to do right? And the pride and the insecurity starts welling up. And here's the thing, as we walk through the scriptures and we see God's people worshiping, it's always, when it's done well, it's done with heart, mind, body, and soul. It's this full body experience. You don't ever see people going, well, I'm praising Jesus on the inside, but I look like I'm taking a nap on the outside, right? And, but we say stuff like that. And so we want to defend that sometimes, be like, well, you know what, as long as it's in my heart, well, clearly there's more to worship than just what's in your heart because what's in your heart actually flows into your fingertips and into your arms and into your life and into your obedience. And, and then we get to passages that are challenging. First Timothy 2.8, Paul speaks uh, to, the, to the church and he says this, I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. So, can I talk to the men in the room for just a second? You ladies, you can just draw or something for a moment. I want to speak to the men in the room. And this is, I know this is uncomfortable um, because you didn't come to church to be singled out, and I understand that. Um, But I'm a man, so I understand the breed a little bit. Um, We can be a lot more insecure than we realize. Can we just admit that? That uh, we can be insecure, we can worry a lot about what other people think around us. There is sort of this, uh, th- this look and feel that we want to put out to people and we're afraid of what my wife might think, what my kids might think. Or in this room, there's this interesting dynamic where um, we, maybe your boss is here or maybe you're in the military and there's like a high-ranking officer at the end of the row and you're a really low-ranking person and you're like, that's my boss over there. Or maybe you're the high-ranking guy and there's like somebody who works for you over here. And it creates this strange dynamic in the space. But can I just encourage you to leave that at the door? Can I just encourage you that this is the the family of God and that we all stand as equals in need of the grace of Jesus here today? And, And so that's an important thing that we do. And at the same time, man, here's the deal. Paul says, hey, would you lift your hands in worship in every place? And I was thinking, why does Paul call out the men? And here's my interpretation, and um, you can write me letters later if you want. Um, No, don't write letters. But I think that Paul calls out the men because the women were already doing it. I think in general, women feel a little more comfortable expressing themselves in worship, a little more natural at doing those things. And as men, we're just a little bit tighter about it and a little bit more worried about it and uncomfortable with it. I think Paul calls out the men because the women were comfortable they were willing to do it. And, and of course, we all should worship. We all should honor God, both mind, body, and soul. But I was, I was thinking this week, how different would our city be, just, just our community be, if men led the way in worship? And you might say, well, Brian, I am. I'm worshiping through other areas of my life. Well, here's the thing. It's leadership to worship publicly. And in the world, in the church, we need more leaders We know more people who are like, I'm going to lead the way in worship and allow you to see me making God the priority of my life. And of course, I do things that nobody knows about, but also in public, I'm willing to express myself physically. And if you're just wondering, why do we lift our hands in worship? It's just an act of submission. It's us actually submitting our hearts physically to God. It's a surrender. That's why we do that. And so it's not for just no reason at all. It's not to impress people around us. But that is why we do it. I don't know about you, but I want to make worship about something that's going on, not just on the inside, but also on the outside, because I believe this is the truth. I believe that God won't bless what we haven't first turned into an implement of worship. You want God's blessing in your life? Do you you want God's blessing just on the inside? Then worship just on the inside. Do you want God's blessing and his his work on your entire life? And and again, blessing isn't the promise of ease or it's just all going to go your way. But do you want God's hand on your entire life? Then worship with your entire life. Take an inventory of the things this week that you have not used for worship. And you'll start to see the things that God's not involved with in your life and that his blessing has not been on But if you start using those things for worship, I believe God then leans in as we lean. And so that's all, I could talk about this all day. I was a worship leader for years. I'm passionate about it. But let's leave our pride and our our, our different systems that come from work at the door and let's worship together. Together, This is verse 24. He says, he answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him. Again, she's just leaning in. Lord, help me. And and he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. I think the first thing that we see was that when she was tested, she worshiped. That's why this woman was delivered. When she was tested, she worshiped. She, she submitted herself to God. She was willing to lay down and, and just worship God. I think the second thing that we see in this woman's life is that she was humble instead of offended. When Jesus didn't give her the answer immediately that she wanted, instead of just being offended and walking away, she was humbled. And I think about this, as she's trying to get to Jesus, she's screaming. She's screaming. I mean, it's just this uncomfortable moment for everybody. You've got this crowd, people talking with Jesus. He's this, this teacher that's doing these amazing miracles. And then there's this crazy woman just screaming from the back of the crowd, Jesus, right? Like, help me. I need your help. And, and the disciples are like, it's getting really awkward in here. And, and she's kind of messing with the mood and the feel. And he, they, he, they just say, can we just send her away, Jesus? Can we just get rid of this woman? And I love that that doesn't stop her. Like, it doesn't seem like that's, that, that stops her at all. It actually almost encourages, encourages her. She just pushes harder and harder. And then from Jesus himself, she gets such a difficult word. Jesus says, I was sent only to the loft sheep of the house of Israel. It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the, to the dogs. So in their society, there was this clear distinction between purebred Israelites and women of mixed ethnicity and different heritage, and the Messiah was believed to only have come for the house of Israel. We know on the other end that Jesus came both for Israel as well as those who were non-Jews, the Gentiles, those of different uh, ethnic backgrounds and different uh, religious backgrounds, he came for the entire world. But for these people, again, they wanted this elite gospel, this good news just for a certain few. And so there was this really difficult thing there. That's what was believed. And so Jesus sort of leans into this, this thing that's believed. He's like, hey, it's not right that I would, that I would minister to you because I'm here for them. And then he calls her a dog, right? And we see this and we're like, good night, Jesus. I mean, how this seems so cruel, doesn't it? I mean, it almost seems offensive that Jesus would act this way. I mean, when I'm reading this, I'm like, I don't like this Jesus at all. Calls her a dog, and I was studying this this week and just reading various different Commentaries about this, and there's a couple of different words that that they used for dog. The first word that they used for dog was sort of like a mangy mutt, right? Like a dog that you see eating trash, and you know it's been scrapping around with other dogs. It's got scrapes on its face and hair missing on its back, or whatever. Like like that is one term for a dog, and the other term for dog is more like um, like a house pet. And so Jesus, between the two terms, uses the house pet term of dog to call this woman a dog. And now. Can we be honest and say that doesn't make it that much better, right? Like, husbands, try this later. Like, call your wife a dog, but be like, no, it's like the other one. It's like the golden retriever. You're not like a mangy. Like, it doesn't make any difference. You're still calling her a dog, and this woman is desperately asking Jesus for help. And, and it just forces us to go, what's going on, Jesus? Why would you do this? You see, in their day, these Gentiles were called dogs, it was really common that this was sort of a, a, a put-down that they would have used for women like this, that she was called a dog, and Jesus sort of like brings that up in this moment. And I think we lose a lot in translation. I think we lose a lot in this moment because we can't see what Jesus is doing. We can't see his eyes. We can't hear the, the tone and inflection in his voice. And so it just sounds really harsh, but I was thinking it's sort of like um, a scene One of my favorite scenes in a movie called Shawshank Redemption. You guys ever seen that? Just a a great classic movie, one of my favorite movies. But there's this scene in Shawshank Redemption. There's the the main character, Andy Dufresne, and Andy is in prison. um, And and then there's this other guy that shows up, and uh, his name is Tommy Williams. Now, Tommy Williams has made some bad decisions. He's a troublemaker. He's lied, cheated, stolen, and he deserves to be where he is. And because of all the choices he's made, he's never actually gotten his high school equivalency. He hasn't gotten his GED or anything, his diploma. And so he wants to get his life together. He's thinking, maybe now's the time. I'm in prison to kind of make myself better. And Andy is this very educated man. He's running the library. He's got a lot of books. So clearly he'd be a guy to help out. And he goes to Andy and asks, Andy, can you tutor me? Can you help me? I want to get my GED. Can you help me do this? And do you guys remember how he responds? These are Andy's words back to Tommy. He says this, I don't waste time on losers, Tommy. And if you've ever seen the movie, what you hear in his voice is this sort of, this tone of love in his voice and this almost little smirk on his face. And and what you see in the moment is this decision-making moment where Tommy has a decision to make. Am I ready to lean in? Am I serious about this? Am I serious about getting better and actually accomplishing this goal? And Andy, what he's doing is he's testing Tommy, right? He's like, I want to I test this guy. Is he really for real? Because I'm busy. I've got other things going on. I don't need to waste my time. And so his desire is that Tommy would say, I need your help. I'll take what I can get. Like, would you be willing to just spend a few minutes from me, a few minutes with me? And as you know, if you've seen the movie, he continues to uh, tutor him and help him through this. So his desire was that Tommy would lean in. But it's sort of a tough love moment, and I see the same thing in this moment with Jesus towards this woman, is that this woman needed to be tested. Now, we don't see this from our side. We just think, man, she's been tested enough, hasn't she, Jesus? But Jesus knows her heart. He gives her a little bit of a tough love and says, hey, um, I only only serve the house of Israel, and why should I throw the, the, the food and the bread for them to the dogs? And she just leans in all the harder. She's humble. Instead of being offended, instead of just walking away, and think about it, what would have happened if she would have walked away? I mean, imagine how you would feel. You'd be like, I don't deserve to be talked to like that. I mean, you can't call me that. Imagine had she just walked away. Her daughter would have continued suffering, and she would never have experienced the healing power of Jesus. Instead, she leans in, she sticks it out, and she humbles herself and if you need grace today, you're going to have to humble yourself. Because I believe pride keeps us from the grace of God. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now that's a scary verse, isn't it? I mean, it's one thing to feel like God's not answering your prayers. It's one thing to feel like God's distant or maybe God's not doing what you want him to do. It's another thing to have the all-powerful God opposing you. But there's one surefire way to do it. Pride. Pride is the best way to get God to oppose us I love how Paul speaks about it. He was, he's been through difficult, difficult things. The man was shipwrecked and beaten and bruised and imprisoned in his ministry. He also had experienced a lot of blessing and a lot of money and a lot of influence. And he says this in Philippians 4, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. In verse 13, you might all know I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the verse that gets stitched onto the pillows, but the rest of it never does. But do you realize that when you put that little post out on your Instagram feed and you let everyone know, oh, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I can't even say it, strengthens me, that you're actually acknowledging that God is going to bring us low. And that God is gonna draw us through difficult circumstances of, of desperation so that we might know how much we need his compassion. Verse 28, continuing on, it says, then Jesus said to her, answered her, O woman, great is your faith, be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. The last thing I think we see in her life is that she was delivered because she had the tenacity of a fighter. I mean, this woman was gritty, right? And I love it. Like, she was, she was a fighter. She came to Jesus, and she got pushed away by his people. And she's like, I don't care what they say. She comes to Jesus, and she kind of gets pushed away by Jesus. She's like, I'm not just going to take that. I will take the scraps from your table. I don't need Thanksgiving feast. I will take the leftovers, Jesus. Like whatever you've got left in the fridge, I will take it because I'm so desperate and I need your help. And ultimately, her faith in Jesus heals her daughter. But I think in the end, her heart was healed. I think in the end, her faith grew. And in this moment, it was probably a salvation moment for this woman because she had the tenacity of a fighter. Some of you, what you need to hear today is simply this, keep on fighting. I mean, that's sometimes the most spiritual thing you just need to hear is just keep fighting. You don't need to live the rest of your life labeled by what you've done or where you've been. You don't have to walk into church today and feel like everybody's looking at this one thing in my life. You don't have to look at yourself in the mirror tonight and think, man, who I am is what I did years ago or who I, did, who I am is what was done to me years ago. You don't have to own that as who you are. And I love this. I love the promise that Jesus has that if we confess our sins, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us, to clean us up from all of our unrighteousness. It really is that simple and that difficult at the same time. It's simple because it just takes a moment. A a heartfelt moment between you and God can change your destiny. And yet at the same time, it's difficult because we all are proud None of us want to be desperate. None of us want to admit that we are this woman. And so what is it for you today? I just want to ask you. Like when I talk about a label, when I talk about something that makes you unclean and defiled, what is it that you would say, this is the label that's on me today, Brian. As I walk into church today, this is what's on my life. How about for you, was it it maybe like the lies. I mean, you know that you've been lying about some stuff. You know that you've been cheating on some stuff at work. You've been trying to get ahead. You haven't believed that God would provide for you, and so you're trying to just take care of things for yourself, and you're doing things that don't have integrity, right? So you've got some lies, and you're carrying this around, and you're like, maybe nobody else sees it, but I definitely see the lies in my life. Maybe it's the anger. You were like screaming at everybody on the way to church today, right? Or maybe at work on Monday. Like you are just somebody, you're a different man or woman. When you go to work, you just launch into a different mode. And it's just a place of anger. When people see you, they just see frustration. They see you screaming and, and just letting out your frustration in an unhealthy way. Maybe you made a decision a few years ago to have, a, have an affair and or maybe somebody in your life had an affair and this was something that just wrecked you and, and 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 shattered your world and because of that when you go to thanksgiving dinner or christmas dinner or you're around your friends that were part of your life in that season you're just pretty sure that's all they see so you walk into a room and you're like that's the sticky note that is on my life maybe it's a pornography addiction and this holiday season, you've been on your phone, on your computer, everybody else is in bed, and you're just surfing around, getting into trouble online. And, and this is leading to some damage in your marriage. It's damaging relationships. It's damaging your relationship with God. And so when you look at yourself in the mirror, you think this is the, this is the label that's on me. Or maybe when I bring up the idea of pride, you're like, yeah, pride, that's me. Everybody knows that they can't just talk to me. That I don't seek to get better, that I don't seek to understand the truth. I just defend myself in any and every situation. Or maybe when I talked about this woman being sort of the outsider or the other, you just think of the hatred that you have in your life for those people. I don't know who those people are in your world, but you know, like, man, you don't look at them the way that Jesus looks at them. That you have a certain snap judgment that you make about certain types of people, and you just have hatred towards those people. Maybe it's just lust. You're not happy with what you have. You have to have what somebody else has. You have to have something that somebody else owns. And So maybe it's physical, it's, it's attractional, or maybe it's just something about somebody else's life that you wish was your own, and you're just filled with lust. And in a season that we come into, the holiday season is a holiday season of lust, just wanting these things to fill us up. And so imagine that you'd come to Jesus, and you're like, this is who I am. Lord, Son of God, Son of David, would you help me? And Jesus says, Why should I help you? Why would he say that? I think Jesus might say that to us today because he wants to know Are you serious? Are you just playing games? You really want help or do you just want to be religious? Just want to go to church? You just want a better reputation? Do you really want to be healed and cleaned? Or are you just playing games? And I just want you to know you have a decision to make in that moment today. You can lean in harder and go, Jesus, I will take the crumbs off the table. I will take anything from you. I am in a place of desperation. I realize my need. Or you can walk out here unchanged. And you can live the rest of your life with all of this on you. But if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus makes us clean. And don't you want this, man? I just want this for all of us that we could live life going there is only one label that defines me as a human being and that's just clean. That's righteous and holy and pure not by what I've done but by what Christ has done for me. Now listen. If you hear nothing else know that you have a decision to make. Understand this that Jesus didn't just come also for the unclean and the outsider. Jesus came only for the unclean and the outsider. And until you and I realize that in this story, we are not Jesus, we are this woman, we are not ready for redemption. We are not ready to be healed. But once you and I can relate to this woman and say, that's me, I am this woman, I am in a place of desperation, I am ready to stop playing games with church or religion, I am ready to pour my life out here and be redeemed by Christ when you're ready for that. He is waiting for you with open arms. And so then as a church, what we do is we do something called baptism. And um, we've just had this tank up for a couple of weeks. We wanted to give you an opportunity coming into this holiday season um, to make a decision in your life. Sometimes it's not enough to simply sit in your chair and pray a little prayer in your heart. Like, sometimes we need to get out of our seats. We need to physically do something as this whole day has been about, actually like living this out. And and for some of you, that's that's the first step to actually walking seriously this life, this life with Christ. And so baptism is a symbol. um, It's a symbol of us dying to our old sin and being cleansed. And being called righteous and pure as we come up out of the water, it represents our new life in Christ. Understand this, this is just tap water. It's not holy water. It's not special water. The water does not clean you. Jesus cleans you. But for you today, I wonder, would you take a step? Would you take a step to say, I'm ready to do this thing? And if that's you, I want to encourage you, go out to the lobby here in the next couple of minutes. Um, As the band starts playing, we've got a table out there with some people that would love to talk with you for a second. They've got some t-shirts and shorts for you. Uh, and we've covered everything. If you didn't come here ready to get baptized, we've, we've got hair dryers in the bathrooms, little scrunchies for your hair, and we've covered it all. So, um, so no excuses today. If God is speaking to your heart, don't leave here having not taken a step of faith so that you might be healed in Christ. Let's stand up together. Jesus, thank you so much that you receive us right where we are. We all feel like we need to clean up before we come to you, but you just say, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest. Like, come to me the way you are. So God, I pray that we could stand before you just laid bare and sometimes just even maybe a little raw from the thought of all the things that make us unclean. And God, may we receive your cleansing I want to confess, God, it's really easy to isolate myself from you. It's really easy to isolate myself from feelings of desperation. I just want to turn on some loud music, play another movie on Netflix, and distract myself from who I am. And yet, God, you want to deal with my soul, the center of who I am. So, God, we open ourselves to you today. We ask you to clean us and cleanse us, that we could walk through our lives knowing that we are only labeled clean and pure when we are in Christ. So could we take that step together, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, love you guys.